We're going to be reading from Daniel chapter 6. And in fact, it's the story of uh, Daniel being thrown to the lions. So uh, you can remember those wonderful cartoon pictures we had earlier. And you can think of King Darius with his long pointed nose. Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king 
and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel And he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have they ever done any wrong. Sorry, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they had reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and revere, sorry, fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. We give thanks to God for his word. Father God, we thank you for your word and we pray that this morning that you would speak to us through your word that we would be open to hearing what you might have to say. Speak, we pray, through the power of your Holy Spirit, and in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us these last few Sunday mornings in the uh, summer season at uh, Long Baptist Church, we've been uh, receiving postcards from heaven, postcards from uh, different characters. We we sometimes send postcards when we're on holiday. This is me on... uh, on my holidays earlier in the year, to where I shall be returning soon, a bit of a selfie there. 
we received a postcard. We started with a postcard from Job, who said he's having a wonderful time in the land of us, business booming, family family party. What could possibly go wrong? Your friend Job, and we heard all about Job. Uh, we then had a postcard from Noah. He said it's the first cruise holiday they've been on. Weather's not great. Sharing the ship with some interesting passengers. And then we had, uh, last week, we had this uh, a postcard from Joseph. This vacation wasn't my idea, but my brother's, but never in my wildest dreams. And I've had a few that I think I would end up in Egypt. And this morning, we're carrying on with uh, another postcard. And you'll not be surprised to hear that this postcard is from Daniel. And he says, this is my first trip aboard. Not sure about the food, but I'm learning the language. There is talk of a visit to the zoo. Your friend, Daniel. The book of Daniel. I'm uh, thankful to uh, Julie for the introduction she gave in the children's talk to the story of Daniel. Uh, The book of Daniel is an interesting book. uh, Split into two parts. The first part, chapters 1 to 6, are all about stories about Daniel. We've got Daniel in in exile in Babylon in chapter 1. In chapter 2, Daniel... Uh, interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 3. Daniel's friends are delivered from the fiery furnace in chapter 4. We've got uh, Nebuchadnezzar's second dream, chapter 5. It's the uh, Belshazzar's banquet, uh, followed by the fall of Babylon. And then the the second part of of Daniel is all about Daniel's uh, prophecies, chapters 7 through to 12. But we're zooming in and, and focusing in and and, and looking uh, at Daniel chapter 6, of course, Daniel and the lion's den. A story that we all know very well, that we're very familiar with. And uh, a story that's uh, a bit like Noah and the ark is sometimes thought of as, as being a great story to share with children. A great story to read with children for obvious reasons. You've got uh, cuddly animals or or you have in, in, in the kind of Bible story pictures, uh, those of you who have been to the zoo or, or actually seen animals in, in the wild will realise that, that lions are not that cuddly and, and not that friendly and probably not, you know, not only should you not take a, a selfie with them, you probably shouldn't get too close to them uh, because they can be quite vicious. And actually the story of, of Daniel, a little bit like the story of Noah, it's not really uh, the sort of story that you'd want to read to your kids just before they went to bed uh, you know, telling about a king that throws people to the lions and then uh, has mothers and fathers and children eaten up by lions at the end of the story. It's not the sort of thing you want to place in your children's minds just before they go off into uh, a perfect sleep. Uh, but we understand why sometimes it's thought of as a, as a children's story. But this morning, uh, we're recognising that it obviously isn't a children's story. And uh, the first thing I want to say is I want to talk about uh, Daniel... And the lion's share. Daniel's, Daniel and the lion's share. Um, Daniel distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps by his exceptional qualities, so much so that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. In other words, he was going to have the lion's share. See that? Like that? Not really, okay. Carry on, Richard. He was going to get the lion's share of, uh, of the governance. There was, there was three administrators and Daniel was going to be given the lion's share, which meant there wouldn't be much for the other uh, administrators, governors and satraps uh, to look at. And of course, when uh, the other administrators and satraps 
heard about this, they tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. In other words, they examined Daniel's life and his work, uh, looking for something that they could find to be able to go and tell the king why he wasn't a suitable candidate, but they couldn't find anything. Now, I wonder whether anybody, whether if, if a group of people, a group of present-day administrators, governors and satraps were to look into our lives, uh, would they be able to find any faults or things not quite so? I'm guessing if they looked at my life, they certainly would. And uh, maybe even if they looked at your life, they may be able to find a few things. But when they looked at Daniel, they couldn't find anything. There was nothing they could do to bring charges against him. Um, Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the only fault that Daniel had was that he worships God and that he was faithful. And they realised that this was the only thing that they could get Daniel on. They weren't going to find any other faults. And so, Daniel and the lion's share. He was going to get the lion's share of the administration. Secondly, I want to talk about Daniel and the lion's snare. You'll see where I'm going with this. Uh, Daniel and the lion's snare. Uh, the, the, the clue's in the name, isn't it? Uh, sat traps. Sat traps, people who set traps. No, okay. Daniel and the lion's snare. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree, the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. You see, you thought when we were doing all these 40 days of things, it was, it was something new, wasn't it? But these administrators and satraps had thought of 30 days without prayer uh, long before Rick Warren came along uh, with his ideas. But do you notice, uh, the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors, that's a, that's a fair group of people, isn't it? Have all agreed. Uh, you know, they want to enforce the idea that this isn't just their idea. It's a little bit like, you know, when I say, I'm sure I can speak for everybody, and we all agree. I guess it's a little bit like that, isn't it? When, he, when they, they, they come up with this whole list of people who, who agree with their proposal. You sometimes hear uh, people sometimes stand up in church meetings or, you know, council meetings, and, and people say, you know, I'm sure I can speak for everybody else, and then they come off with, with their idea, uh, which nobody else agrees with. But that's what they do. They go to the king with this wonderful idea uh, that everybody should stop praying to any other god other than the king. So that was the snare, uh, really, that the king fell for and that Daniel was going to get caught in. And I guess there's a, there's a warning there, isn't there? You know, when people come along and uh, kind of butter you up and, and tell you how wonderful you are, that maybe we should be careful of such people. It's nice to, to receive compliments. We all like it, don't we? But sometimes uh, there are things hidden within those compliments that may come out later. And uh, the king uh, wasn't wise in his decision to issue this decree. So we've looked at uh, Daniel and, uh, and the lion's share and Daniel and the lion's snare. And now I'd like to think about Daniel and the Lord's prayer. No, not that one. Uh, Daniel's prayer. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the window was open towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, 
he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. And what I want you to notice in that is those four little words at the end, just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. This is what Daniel did. This is what Daniel did every day. Apparently three times a day. This is what he'd done for all his life. Uh, Somebody has worked out the maths. Because Daniel was supposed to be in his 80s by the time we get to to chapter 6. And someone's worked out that if Daniel had prayed three times a day for 85 years. That comes out as over 93,000 prayers had been prayed by Daniel during his life. Check it out. Do the math yourself and, uh, and work it out. Uh, I wonder how many prayers you or I have said in our lifetime. Probably not 93,000, but maybe. You might be a, mo- a lot more faithful in, in prayer than me. But then what I want to point out is that this was Daniel's custom. He was a person who prayed every day. It was part of his custom. Sometimes we can, we can not custom, can't we, in tradition... And, uh, you know, repeating prayers as if, you know, making them up about our own prayers and, and flying by the seats of our pants is, is a lot better than any kind of ritual or doing things again and again. But we see in the life of Daniel, actually, um, having a routine in prayer is a good thing when things go wrong. Because Daniel just carried on doing what he always did. Sometimes people pray when things go wrong and don't pray for the rest of the time. It's only in emergencies that people can kind of pray. But for Daniel, it was his regular custom and three times a day. Just as he had done before. And also notice, uh, he just followed his routine. His routine was to go to the window and to face Jerusalem. An open window where everybody could see him praying. Because of the decree, Daniel wasn't going to hide away. He was going to carry on because that's what he did. And uh, he prayed three times a day. This is what he did. It was a, a routine that he'd got into. Sometimes, you know, people talk about, oh, some people just come to church out of habit. It's actually quite a good thing to do to have the habit of coming to church. It's quite a good thing to do to have the habit of reading the Bible. It's quite a good thing to do, the habit of praying. It's a good habit to get into, and it's a habit that Daniel had. And notice that uh, his prayer was giving thanks to, to his God. It comes to God... Um, he's heard about this decree that if anybody prays to anybody other than the king that they'll be thrown to the lions and he gives thanks to God. Interesting, isn't it? I wonder what you would have prayed in those circumstances. Probably, help, Lord, get me out of here, kind of prayers, rather than, you know, thank you, God, that you're such a wonderful God and you have such a wonderful world and blah de blah de blah uh, Daniel just carried on praying because that's what he did. And there's something in that that we could learn from. That if we can foster within our lives a daily routine. You know, maybe even, you know, setting your alarm on on your phone just to remind you to pray a couple of times a day. It's not a bad idea just to remind you to focus on God. And as it becomes part of your life, it just becomes natural. And so it becomes a a conversation with God. Prayer's a funny thing, isn't it? You know, I've been... uh, I've been a minister for over 20 years and a Christian for 30 years and I've still not really worked it out. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, But what I do know is is the reason why I haven't worked it out is because we tend to look at it a bit like it's it's some sort of maths equation, don't we? You know, if if I do this and pray that, I will get that. Or if I can pray enough or muster enough faith then, you know, God will answer my prayer. And we treat it like that a little bit, don't we? Uh, 
I even read about somebody who suggested that, you know, we even look at prayer as, as, as almost like a, something magical. You know, if I, if I can find just the right formula uh, and the right words, you know, abracadabra. And if I do the right things, then, then God might answer my prayer. And we can treat things like that, can't we? And uh, prayer doesn't work like that. If you've not worked it out by now, uh, like me, you probably never will. Because prayer isn't something that we're supposed to work out and understand. It's actually about a, a relationship. Um, C.S. Lewis, um, after his wife had, had died, he was in school. He was a school teacher. Or he was a he was in a university teaching, and and uh, one of his colleagues came to him and, and said, "You know, I'm I'm really sorry uh, about your wife, and uh, I'm sorry God didn't answer your prayers." And Lewis, and, and and he said, "You know, are you going to carry on praying?" And, and C.S. Lewis responds by saying, "You know, prayer does not change God; it changes me. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, walking and sleeping." It doesn't change God, it changes me. And sometimes when we pray, we, we imagine that we might be able to change God's mind. That we might be able to make God do what we want to do. Whereas C.S. Lewis says, and, and I kind of empathise with his words, you know, prayer is just something that we do. Just like Daniel, something that he did every day. It's about a relationship. Yes, of course, we, we bring our requests and our petitions and our thanksgiving and everything else to God. Uh, but there isn't a magic formula. Um, but it's something that we do because we're in a relationship with God. So Daniel and the Lord's Prayer, he just prays to the Lord God because that's what he did. And uh, despite the consequences, it was a dangerous prayer. And it is dangerous to pray, isn't it? Because you know something might actually happen when we do pray. It might change us. It might change us. Then these men went to the group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. This was all that they could find about Daniel. The accusation was that he was a praying man. I'm sure you've seen the poster, you know, if you were accused of being a Christian today, would there be enough, enough evidence to find you guilty? Well, in Daniel's case, there was. There was plenty of evidence that he was guilty of praying to God because he didn't hide it away. And so often... In this day and age, we do hide away our faith, don't we? We're like undercover Christians, aren't we? You know, we even wear secret badges, don't we? We wear fish badges that nobody else in the world knows what it is, but we can spot one another because, uh, or the car, you know, you see a car with a, a fish badge and you think, aha, Christians, but nobody else knows. Nobody else knows. Let's keep it that way. Let's keep it that way. Let's be undercover. And we, and we kind of hide it away and we hide it away. Uh, because we're worried about what people might say if they find out that we're Christians. That they might laugh at us or mock us or think that we're not actually good enough to be a Christian or whatever. Uh, Daniel was open and honest. He didn't hide his faith away. He prayed with an open window so that everybody could see what he was doing. And you know, it's my experience, you know, actually when we are open with our faith, people are a lot more receptive than we imagine. You know, if somebody's going through a, a difficult time at work and you, you say, you know, would you like me to pray with you? Very often they'll say yes. Very often they'll welcome, actually, rather than be offended or, or not want anything to do with it. And, and people watch us when they know that when we let the secret out, people tend to watch us, uh, just as Daniel's friends were watching him. And uh, they caught him out. Have you ever been caught out praying? Daniel and the Lord's Prayer. 
And they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, just to remind the king that he's not one of us, he's one of them. Doesn't belong to our, and there's a lot of that going on in our world today, isn't there? Trying to, uh, you know, bring up uh, hostility among different tribes and different nations. They're not part of our, they're not part of us, they're different. I'm pointing out people's difference. And people, when they point out people's difference, they normally do it for a negative reason. They normally do it for a negative reason. He's not one of us. He's one of the exiles from Judah. Pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decrees you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. It sounds like a little kid, doesn't it? He still prays three times a day. Have you seen what he's doing? It's like that, isn't it? Couldn't wait to get to the king's door and tell him that they'd caught not only the king out, but Daniel out. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, the Daniels, the, the, it's the king that really was caught up in this snare, this trap, because they persuaded him to write this decree that he now regretted writing, but he couldn't do anything about it. Even the king didn't have the power to do anything about that decree. So Daniel and the Lord's Prayer, and then finally it's Daniel and the lion's lair. Daniel and the lion's lair. And this is the bit that, of course, we know. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Interesting, isn't it, that this king is now almost praying. Uh, It's this king, you see, Daniel's friends were watching Daniel to try and catch him out. The king had obviously been watching and been impressed impressed so much he was going to uh, give him this high position in his kingdom but impressed so much that he even was now himself putting hope in Daniel's God may your God rescue you may your God whom you serve continually interesting isn't it they use that phrase may your God who you serve continually the kings noticed that Daniel was a man that not only prayed but serve God continually. He'd noticed that because, again, Daniel was out and open about his faith. I don't know if you've ever been thrown to the lions. Maybe you feel sometimes that you've been thrown to the lions. Um, Of course, this is a picture of me. I wasn't thrown to the lions, but this is, this is a real picture. Some people don't believe this. This is a real picture. Royal backed me up here because I think he's been to, uh, to this place. Uh, those are real alligators just about a foot away from me. And, uh, and uh, I, went, I, I actually went there by choice. I wasn't thrown there. And uh, this guy drew a line in the sand. And, uh, you know, I'm stood here and the, and the alligator's there. And he drew a line in the sand. And he said, don't go past this line. And I said, well, why would you? And, uh, uh, but those, those, those alligators, they didn't bite me. Now, I'm not suggesting that God sent an angel to shut the alligator's mouth. We've just been chucking bits of meat at them and they've been smacking them. Um, but there's something about being very close to wild animals that's, which is actually quite frightening. And, and again, it just reminds us that this isn't a kid's story. Uh, this is actually quite a dangerous story. Daniel, the king says, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? The king couldn't sleep all night, worrying about Daniel, wondering whether he had survived. Well, the reality was, um, you wouldn't have thought he was going to survive, because the reason why they kept a, a, a den of, of lions, we don't tend to think about this, but the reason why they kept a den of lions was so that they could chuck people in, as a, as a punishment, as a cruel punishment. 
And normally when people went in and a boulder was put across, they didn't come out again. That was it. That was how it went. And so it's interesting that the king seems to have not only uh, started to pray a little bit like Daniel, but he seems to have picked up a bit of Daniel's faith because why would you ask, has your God saved you? Has he been able to rescue you? He shouldn't be there. He should have been gobbled up by the wild beasts. And he hears Daniel answered. O king, live forever. My God has sent his angels and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me. It's a little bit like the earlier story, isn't it, in Daniel? In Daniel chapter 3, the fiery furnace. Very similar things, you know, Daniel's three friends uh, uh, won't bow down and worship this golden idol. And so they're thrown into the fiery furnace. And uh, they too come out alive. Very, lots of similarities. The, 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 the king ends up issuing a decree saying they should worship the, the god of Meshach, Abagmino, and, uh, and Shadrach. Uh, but it's interesting because these three friends, um, they say, just before they go in, but even if, even if he does not rescue us, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or, or worship the image of gold you have set up. Uh, even if not, even if God doesn't rescue us, we're going to carry on. Because I think one of the problems with stories like this is some people might sit there and thinking, well, God never rescued me in my circumstances. God never came to rescue me. God didn't shut the, 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 the lion's mouth for me. And of course, the reality is, is, is we've got to be careful sometimes with it. As we've looked at these stories, we've already looked at the story of, of, of Job. And, and Job would probably say, God didn't rescue me. Because all the calamities that came on him. Joseph was, was taken off into, so when we looked at him, he was taken off into to slavery and suffered for, for years and years and years until God eventually rescued him. But Noah, God rescued him. And we've talked about before about, you know, God isn't always consistent in the people that he rescues and doesn't rescue. And as we look around the world today, we don't need to look very far to see that people, you know, are suffering. Some people are suffering for their faith in all sorts of horrible circumstances. And it appears as if God hasn't rescued. But Christians tend to say the same thing. You know, even if God does not, I'm still going to serve. And I'm sure Daniel felt the same. And uh, that's how we are to live. Uh, Because very often we have to live in the even if not. That's where many of us find ourselves. Anyway, the king is absolutely delighted, so delighted, that he issues another degree, that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And he issues this degree, decree and tells everybody that they had to worship God. And uh, I don't know if you, but do you recognise the gospel in the story of Daniel? Do you recognise the gospel in the story of Daniel? Uh, Jesus, though he was innocent, he was envied and hated and condemned to die. He too was, was put down into a pit where it seemed that the only outcome was death. And a stone was rolled across the entrance and God sent an angel to declare to the disciples that God had raised Jesus from the dead. 
And we see something of that in the story of Daniel. That God is the God who saves. That God is the God who rescues us. And God does save us. He saves us from our sin. He rescues us. And uh, the salvation that we will receive, of course, is in heaven. And uh, our story will eventually have a happy ending. The story of Daniel and Lansden has a happy ending in this life. Uh, who knows whether our story will have a happy ending in this life. But we are guaranteed a happy ending in eternity. Because Daniel and the lion's lair reminds us that the story of Daniel is the story of the Daniel and the God who was there. The story of Daniel is the story of the story of Daniel and the God who was there. And whatever situations we find ourselves in, we can be absolutely guaranteed that God is there with us. And sometimes he even closes the mouths of lions. Let's pray.